the topic of the second half of Sefer Shmot begins really in this week's parasha, which is the Mishkan. Um, Parsha Truma and Titzaveh are completely devoted to the Mishkan, starting from the collection of goods uh, and precious stones, etc., in order to construct the Mishkan and all of its appurtenances, and then the details of how to build the Aron, and then the Shulchan, and then the Menorah, and then the Ohel itself, and the Chatzer. And of course, there's some interesting stuff about what the order is, because the Mizbech HaKtoret is only presented at the end, in, at the end of Parshat Tetzaveh. Uh, we're also told about how to sanctify the Kohanim, and that goes into the beginning of Parsha Kitisa, where we're told about the Kior, and about the Ktoret, and about the uh, Shemon HaMishcha, and it finally concludes with the appointment of Betzalel and the Mitzvah of Shabbat. And then, of course, there's the famous interruption of the Egel and everything that follows it, and that's followed by a detailed description of the fulfillment of these mitzvot, of collecting the materials, and Betzalel and Oliav and his crew making all the different things and setting them up. And Sefer Shemot concludes with the triumphal note of the dedication of the Mishkan. The cloud comes down. Hashem Shekhinah is now manifest among Am Israel. It's beautiful. But I want to look at the Mishkan from the perspective of its location in Shemot because the truth is it starts a little bit earlier. Here we are in source one at the end of Matan Torah, meaning at the end of the what we call the revelation, even though Matan Torah continues for quite a while. And the people's reaction, we've talked about this numerous times, the people's reaction to Aserat Adibrot and the smoking mountain and the shofar and everything else going on is to be afraid. And they say to Moshe, you go and get the rest of the laws and tell us, we don't want to hear it directly from God, we're afraid. Moshe says, don't be so afraid, but it doesn't matter. That's how it plays out. And Vayamora Am Mirachok Moshe Nigashal Arfela Shasham Hayalohim. All right. So that's that's how it plays out. And now in Pasuk Yod Tet, Vayomar Adonai Moshe Kotovar Abnei Israel Atem Ritem Kimin Hashemayim Divarti Machem. Now let's note where we are here. Hashem has already given the Aseret Hadibrot. Whether the, her people heard all ten of them, only heard the first two Machok Vishonim, but the first. Debrot uh, have been given, and now Moshe's job is to be the go-between, as per the people's request or demand, that he go into the cloud, he get the rest of the mitzvot, and then he come out and tell them about those mitzvot. So now Hashem says to him, and Hashem seems to approve, and later in Tzvarim we hear that Hashem explicitly approves of the people's request. He says, go tell B'nai Yisrael the following. This is what you tell them. You saw that I spoke to you from heaven. All right, which legitimates and substantiates the rest of these mitzvot. You see that it's God talking. And then he says, Do not make to, to shall we say, as part of my party, as part of my entourage, part of my court, gold and silver gods. In other words, no imagery. Okay? And then the next thing he says is, Now this can be seen as a symmetrical opposite. I don't want the fancy gold and silver. I want simple mizbeach of dirt, maybe. But at this point, the first mitzvah that he's actually giving them is mizbeach adama, because seems to be an expansion on the first diber, which is lo So there seems to be an expansion on that. The first new piece of information is about a mizbeach. Build a Mizbeach, and then there's different laws of the Mizbeach. 
He's Bach Adama, and then he says the following. In the past, we've talked about what that means. It was the original plan for there to be multiple Mizbachot and multiple Mishkanim. Unclear, Mishkanot. In any case, wherever you mention my name, I'll bless you. And then, If you're going to build a Mizbeach out of rocks, don't build them with hewn rocks. You put your sword on them in order to break them up. And therefore, you have violated them. You've denigrated them. And don't walk up on steps. You have to build a ramp because of your erva being seen by the stones themselves. Okay. And then ve'ela mishpatim. And very famously, Rashi points out, based on the midrash, ve'ela that vav is mosif. In other words, this is all one thing. We, we have the cholent problem. The cholent problem is that we were in shul. Shabbat Parshat Yitro, and we heard Asher Lo and then Kaddish, and we heard it again, and then a Haftorah from Yeshayahu, and then Musaf, and then we went home and had Cholent and took a nap, and then we came to Shul and heard Ve'ela Mishpatim, and we think that Mishpatim is a separate thing, but the Vav tells you it's not. Hashem speaking to Moshe in the cloud, and the first series of laws that Hashem gives Moshe are about the Mizbeach, and how to build a proper Mizbeach, and the fact that Hashem is going to come and bless them wherever they wherever they mention his name, wherever they seem to, to create a place of worship. And then Ve'ela Mishpatim. And then we have the Mishpatim. And you see, I put a couple questions here, right? That Bnei Israel's fear, and and so they send Moshe into the cloud, and Hashem's first response to that, his first mitzvot that he gives them are mitzvot of a Mizbeach. Okay, that's fine. And you notice that the Mizbeach is created here deliberately to be simple, not adorned, dirt, stones, rough stones, etc. Okay, what do we have next? Ve'ela Mishpatim, and now I, I put almost all of Parshat Mishpatim into uh, uh, sound bites, right? We have the laws of Eved Ivri and, and Am Ivriah, and then we have the laws of murder and the laws of cursing your parents and the laws of uh, I had it called of, uh, of, um, uh, damage the body. Then is these came Amon, damaging somebody's property. Then there's laws of Shomrim, basically a tour through, through the Bubba's. Right. And then there's the laws of Pitui, of seductions. We go into Masachek Tubot, as it were. And then there's a whole bunch of different abominations like offering up to other gods and witchcraft, et cetera. And then there's the proper treatment of the gear and the stranger, et cetera. And then there's a general thing about the juridical process, including not to take uh, bribes, etc. And then there's the laws of the holidays. And then that ends with a bracha and a klala. If you recall, at the end of Mishpatim, after the Mishpat, Mishpat part, we get these other laws that are more in the realm of mitzvot than of Mishpatim. They are ritual laws. And that's followed by, by bracha and klala. If you worship God, God will take care of you. If you violate it, God will not, etc. Classic end of a breed. Very good. What happens next? Right? What happens next is Hashem then tells Moshe, okay, you and Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and the Zikinim, come on up and worship, and then Moshe alone will come up to the mountain. Unclear what that's about. 
In other words, there seems to be kind of a, a jerkiness to it. We've just had the revelation. The first thing Hashem says in the private meeting with Moshe to parlay further to Bnei Yisrael is the laws of a Mizbeach. And then suddenly all these Mishpatim, the whole law book. And subsequent to that, after hearing all of these laws, then Hashem says to Moshe, now you come up to the mountain and worship. So the laws are simply sandwiched in the middle of all of this worship. It gets weirder because when Hashem says to Moshe, come on up to the mountain, what does Moshe do? Moshe first comes out to the people. He tell, does exactly what they asked him to do, which is, they said, go in and get the mitzvot and come tell us. He comes out and he tells them everything he heard. And the response is, call out very much, whatever God said, we'll do. Moshe writes it down. It's the first writing we hear of in history. He writes it down. He gets up early and he builds a mizbeach. There we go, there's a mizbeach. And he builds 12 matzevot, evidently representing, is representing the 12 shvatim. And then he sends young men and they bring korbanot. And Moshe then takes the blood of the korbanot and puts half on the matzevot and half on the mizbeach. You know, there's half on the people, Kilu, and making a breed. And then Moshe takes uh, and says, this is dam habrit. And then he, he reads, sorry, he reads the Sefer Habrit. And then after he reads the Sefer Habrit, and the people answer, Nasev ben Nishma, then Moshe takes the dam, puts it on the people. Evidently, Barbanel says, puts it on the, on the Matzivot. And he says, here's the dam habrit. We made a brit, and here's the dam that, that seals that brit. Okay, very good. And now Moshe goes up to the mountain. Remember, Hashem said to Moshe at the end of the speech, go up, come to the mountain. Moshe takes a time out. He goes out and he writes down, he tells them what he said, what Hashem said to him. He then writes it down. He builds in his back, brings korbanot, does this whole ceremony and reads from the written text. They say now, now he's ready to go up to the mountain. Moshe, Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and the 1770s Kenim go up and they see this amazing thing. Right, and then Hashem says to Moshe, now you come up to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to give you luchot ha'even, v'atorah mitzvah, all of that. Moshe goes up, and Moshe goes into the cloud. The cloud is a burning fire. He goes in, and he's there for 40 days, 40 nights. Very nice. What is it that Hashem actually gives Moshe on top of our Sinai? When you ask, what did we get at Sinai? You have to be very specific, because what did we get when we were at the foot of Sinai and Hashem was speaking to all of us, what did we get at the foot of Sinai when Moshe went into the cloud and, sp- and Hashem spoke only with Moshe at the foot of the cloud and Hashem, Moshe came out and told us, Mishpatim. What did we get when Moshe went to the top of Har Sinai? Something else. What did we get in the Mishkan that was built at the foot of Har Sinai? Something else. So when you say, what do we get at Sinai? You have to be more specific. So what is it that we got on top of Har Sinai? And the answer is right here. Parsha Truma Tetzava, the Yem Kitisa. Moshe goes into the cloud, and what does Hashem say? Take Truma, Zahav, Achesav, Nechoshet, etc., etc. Make a Mikdash, I will dwell among them. Make an Aron, make Kruvim, make a Shulchan, make a Menorah, etc., etc., by the way, no korbanot mentioned except for a dedicated, dedicatory korban mentioned at the end of Tetzavad. Set everything up. 
That's what Moshe is told. When that period is over, Hashem now says to Moshe, you better go down because B'nai Israel messed up and that's the Egel. And we don't know and we will never know whether that means that the original intent was that Moshe would stay there for however long, 70 days, 80 days, half a year, a year, and get all of Torah mitzvot down to the very last Ketzot and Chiddush Rebbe We don't know. Or whether it means that that was exactly what was intended to be given and pumped at that moment Moshe had to come down because of the ego. We don't know. But what we do know is that at least the first 40 days were occupied with giving Moshe the laws of the Mishkan. So before going further, I'm going to ask the question, why is Moshe given the laws of the Mishkan on top of the mountain when Moshe is given all these other laws that are vital at the bottom of the mountain? What's the difference? Why can't Hashem just give give it all to him at the bottom of the mountain? or all on top of the mountain. So if you take a look at the at the Mishkan, what is the purpose of the Mishkan? It would be very easy for us to fall into a trap of saying, Mishkan, Mikdash, same thing, and the purpose of the Mikdash seems to be, like the Ramam says in his introduction, a place to bring Korbanot. But that doesn't seem to be what it is. So let me start by asking you a broader question. You're designing a building. What's the first thing that you think about or that you ask the people who hired you? They tell you the location. They tell you how much space you have. They tell you the budget. What's the first question you ask them? What are you going to use it for? Exactly. What are you going to use it for? And the first thing that you design is the center. The first thing you design is This is going to be a lecture hall. So we've got to figure out how to configure the seats and the podium and uh, and the the lectern. You don't start by designing the foundation or the walls or the roof. You start by designing the focal point. This is a restaurant. Let's figure out where, where the kitchen is going to be, where the tables are going to be, where the dining area is going to be. After you have that, then you start figuring out how to do the wiring and the foundation and the insulation and everything else that's afterwards. In practice, this is the Gemara Brachot, in practice, what do you actually lay out first? In practice, what do you do first? Foundation. You do the foundation and then the walls and then the roof. And you make sure before you finish the walls, you put the wiring in. You do everything in order. And the last thing you do is bring the lectern into the hall. The last thing you do is bring the pots and pans into the kitchen. That's the famous Gmoran Brachot. Where in Parsha Truma, we start with the Aron. And then the Kruvim. The Kaporet and the Kruvim. And then the Shohan and the Menorah. And then we go to the Krashim and the Adanim and the Ohel. And the Gemara points out that when it comes to Vayakel, it's in the opposite order. Hashem, Moshe says to Batsalel, make an Aron, a Kruvim, right? And Batsalel turns to Moshe and says, are you sure if I'm supposed to build an Aron and Kruvim and Kaporet and Kruvim, where am I going to put them? And Batsalel, the Gemara says that Batsalel turned to Moshe and said, maybe Hashem told you the opposite way. Maybe Hashem said, first build the Ohel, then put the stuff in. Moshe says, Oi, Betzel El Hayita. You must have been in the shadow of God. He names him Betzalel. He plays on his name. In other words, what we have is 
two different perspectives, a perspective of teleology and a functionality. From a perspective of teleology, you want to think about what the goal of the place is, and that comes first. Parsha Truma is not focused around how to build a Mishkan. It's focused around the goal of the Mishkan, and therefore it starts with the center. Right? Dovi, yeah. In that Midrash, why, why did Moshe reverse the order? Oh, very good. So I think that that's the difference between Moshe and Betzalel, between a person of ideas and a person of action. Moshe describes the Mishkan from perspective of Telos, of what, what is the goal. And therefore, he starts with the Aron. But Saul is an artisan. He's a man of action. Therefore, he says, well, first thing you got to do is build the sockets and put the, 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 uh, the boards in and put a tent over it. Moshe's not wrong. They're just looking at it from a different perspective. From perspective of function, or shall we say of sequence, you have to start with the foundation. So what is the goal of the Mishkan now that we got there? The answer seems to be right here in, our, in the Sukim, because the very first thing you're going to build is the Aron. And what's the purpose of the Aron? Let's take a look. The Asu Aron at Seishitim, and we're told how to, how to construct it, and it's set of the size. And you're going to put a cover on top of the Aron. And before you put the cover on, what are you going to put inside the Aron? The Edut that I'm going to give to you. I haven't given it to you yet. I'm giving you a testimony, a physical testimony. What it's going to be is something the French call a souvenir. A souvenir of your visit to Arsinai, which is the 10 statements that everybody heard on stone. And you're going to put it into the, uh, into the Aron. And now, what's the purpose of the Aron? The purpose of the Aron is not just a lockbox to keep the Vuchotin. I am going to meet with you there. Moshe, you and I are going to meet there. By the way, Moshe, just like you and I are meeting here, we're going to meet there. I will speak to you from above the kaport. Now notice how many layers there are. Inside there is the edut. The aron now becomes aron ha'edut. Then there's a kaport on top. On top of that, there's a kruvim. And between the kruvim, that is on top of the kaport, on top of the aron, which is aron ha'edut, Hashem is going to speak to Moshe. In other words, what's happened is Hashem has 100% bought into Bnei Israel's request. We don't want to hear Hashem's voice directly. So we're from now on, the relationship is going to be Hashem to Moshe, Moshe to Bnei Israel. And by the way, Bnei Israel have demonstrated their absolute faith in Moshe by, in, by charging him with that. So that Moshe can directly speak to them and they trust that that's Hashem's word. Great. How are we going to continue this relationship? I don't want you guys to live in Harsinai forever. How are we going to continue this relationship? So to quote, the, to paraphrase the Ramban, you're going to construct a mini Harsinai. And that's this. And I'm going to meet with you as I'm meeting with you here. Now, do you understand why the laws of the Mishkan are given at the top of the mountain? Because the Mishkan is the top of the mountain. The Mishkan is going to be replicating the top of the mountain. I, I never really understood this until I had a chance to visit many years ago. I think it was 2003. I was in Israel in around Tubishvat time, 2002. And we were driving down Route 1 on the way to towards Yericho. And we saw on the side, and people I was driving with told me to pull over to the side. 
There was a little uh, place on the side of the road. It's not there anymore. It's called the, the, the Tabernacle in the Wilderness. Some priest, some uh, minister from Kansas leased some land from the government and built a life-size replica of the Mishkan down to the details. It was amazing. And if you went around the back, you could see the Kruvim through the window, but you weren't allowed to go in there. Kodesh Kodesh. You could go into the Kodesh, even though we weren't calling it. You could go into the, into the Kodesh. And, you know, you paid your 15 shekel and you got in to see this exhibit. It was really something. And you saw the Chatser outside with the, with the tents and the tent pegs. And then you saw the Mizbeach that was outside. And you went into the Kodesh. It was really stunning. I never understood this until we went in. The Kodesh is absolutely pitch dark. There are three tent layers over it. It's pitch dark, except it's not pitch dark. It's super light because there's the menorah, which is lit up, and everything in there is gold. And the gold keeps reflecting the fire. And it's like, it's a light show. It's amazing. Now, this is the Ramban picks up and says, that's what people experience in Har Sinai, this amazing light show. And that's what the Kodesh is. That's what the Mishkan is. So the Mishkan is, is, a, is a rolling Har Sinai, if you will. And that's what he says here. I'm going to continue giving mitzvot from the Kruvim. So in other words, the, the purpose of the Mishkan here is to continue the process of Har Sinai. The Mikdash is not like that. There's no Nivuah in the Mikdash. But there's something else that's in the Mikdash that also gets connected to the Mishkan. So the Mishkan serves several purposes here. Again, if you notice, the Mishkan is introduced right after Har Sinai. Briefly, the Mizbeach. And then suddenly there's Mishpatim, the whole gamut, including Brachal Kola, and then the details of the Mishkan, up on top of our Sinai. Why is that the case? So I want to show you one other central piece that, that happens here. When we go into next week's parasha, parasha with part of which focuses on the close of the Kohanim, right at the beginning of the parasha, you find this, the third pasuk in the parasha. This is identifying Aaron and his sons as being the Kohanim. And you're going to uh, get all of the artisans together to make beautiful, proper garments for them. Now, it's interesting that when we talk about Big Day Kuna, when you're teaching Big Day Kuna in Shear, you usually start with the basic four that every coin wears, and then you add four that the coin Gadol wears. But the Torah almost ignores every coin except the coin gadol, and the almost the entire focus is on the special clothes of the coin gadol, which are choshen a photo meal, and of course the tzitz. So the meal is the tchelat coat that he wears. The tzitz is the band. What's the choshen and the ephod? The ephod is an apron that he wears on his back, and there's two strips that come over his shoulders, and to those strips are affixed a breastplate which is actually made out of uh, fabric. And on the fabric, there are stones set in, and that's called Choshen Hamishpat. Interesting word. And so here we get the description, and then it describes how to make the ephod, and then Ve'asita Choshen Mishpat. Now, the Choshen is not called Choshen Mishpat when it's first introduced. It's called a Choshen, a breastplate. But here it's called Choshen Mishpat. Interesting and odd phrase. Right, And you're going to make it with the same kind of fabric and doing as you made the ephod. And they get all the details of the Choshen. And now what's going to happen with this? 
Why is that? Because on the two strips of the ephod, kitfot ephod, that come over his shoulder to attach to the choshen, there are two stones. And on the two stones are engraved in the stones the names of all 12 sons of Yaakov. What order they go in, they go one, two, like this, one, two, six, like that. But you have all 12 names. 50 letters on each side. Yehosef is there to even it out. And then what's on the choshen itself? Separate stones, and each stone says Reuven, Shimon, and there's more stones, Shifteyah, right, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov are there, so that all the letters are there, so you get messages. But it's the names of Bnei Yisrael. Whenever Aharon goes into the Kodesh, he wears the names of Bnei Yisrael on Choshen HaMishpat. It should never be taken off when he's in the Kodesh. These things that light up, that give us information, are going to be on Choshen HaMishpat. Those are the stones. And watch the end of this. This is the end of this parasha. Aaron will keep Mishpat B'nai Yisrael on his heart. What does that mean? So, a broad statement here to explain. On the one hand, and on the other hand, on the one hand, and we see this throughout the Chakikah of the Torah, throughout the legislation of the Torah. The Torah speaks to Bnei Israel in their own milieu. It uses terminology and uses a context that they're familiar with from being in Mitzrayim. On the other hand, the Torah is interested in pulling Israel out of Mitzrayim and pulling Israel out of the pagan mind thing. To quote the Rambam, the Rambam talks about Korbanot. As an example, it's a, it's a contested statement, but the broader piece is not contested. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to pull Bnei Israel out of the pagan thinking, so he says, look, can't pull them out totally. The idea of Korbanot is such part of the ancient mindset, there's no way to do anything different. But instead of it being multiple Korbanot with all sorts of different people involved, we're going to focus it one place, one Kohen, etc. going to limit it. In other words, we're going to take what they know and we're going to refine it. And this is a principle that many Ba'alei Machshava, both in the ancient world and in medieval times and in modern times, take to understand the legislation of the Torah. <clears throat> in the same way, here are B'nai Israel, and they need a Mishkan. Hashem wants them to have a Mishkan, a place to meet with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And yet, in the ancient world, a mishkan, a, a, a mikdash, was a place of purely ritual behavior. Might, might have been disgusting ritual behavior, including burning up your own children, including called prostitutes, including who names it, who knows, all sorts of crazy things. But as long as that was what the gods wanted, that was the mikdash. In the meantime, what's the story with ethical behavior? That's a separate realm. Ethical behavior belongs to the king, and it either happens or doesn't happen. And whether the gods bless us or not is irrelevant to our ethical behavior. If we do the right ceremony with the right time, with the right uh, mojo, then the gods will bless us. In the meantime, if we're treating the indigent, the, the poor, and the, and, the, and the fatherless, and the widows, etc., we're treating them badly, that's a separate problem. 
The Torah here is coming with a very powerful message. Mishpat is wrapped is wrapped inside the Mishkan. Mishpat is the core of the Mishkan. You want to have a place where God is going to reside among B'nai Israel. You want to have that meeting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You want Har Sinai to continue. The only way to do it is to have Mishpat. And the only way the Kohen can walk in proudly into the Mishkan, obviously humbly, but proudly to be the representative of Am Yisrael, to get HaKadosh Baruch Hu's blessing and to have HaKadosh Baruch Hu accept our Korbanot, is if he can walk in with Mishpat B'nai Yisrael. That every shaman has to be represented there. Every individual has to be represented there. Nobody's left behind. Mishkan envelops Mishpat because without Mishpat, the Mishkan is meaningless. To have a Mishkan where the people come in with korbanot that they bought with money they stole from poor people is something Yishayahu Aleph that HaKadosh Baruch Hu rejects. I don't want your korbanot. Who asked you to trample my, my chatzer? And so the Torah structures mishpat as being at the core of the interaction with God to tell us, first of all, the two are not only not divorced, they're dependent on each other. You can't have proper mishpat without HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But you also can't have the interaction with HaKadosh Baruch Hu without mishpat. And the most central garment that the Kohen Gadol wears is the Choshen HaMishpat. And the Torah calls it Choshen HaMishpat, even though there's no Mishpat involved, seemingly. Because what's he wearing? Mishpat B'nai Yisrael. He's coming in with the justice, with the ethical standards of Am Yisrael being represented on him as a way of gaining HaKadosh Baruch Hu's favor and HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepting the Korbanot. So Mishpat and Mishkan are woven in together. That is a piece that continues because, of course, where does the Sanhedrin sit? The Sanhedrin sits in the Lishkat HaGazit of the Beit HaMikdash. That's its central place. Hamakom HaShem Yivcha HaShem because Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Udvar Adonai Yerushalayim. It is from the place where we interact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that proper justice must emanate. And that's, of course, the reason that the nations of the world will ultimately say, we want to go there too, because, Mitzion Tetzei Torah, Adver Hashem Yerushalayim.